Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man whose tiny children have been texting him somehow. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Uh, you're much better than last week's audience. That's, that's actually the first time this series I've been able to say that, and if it makes sense, just because of the order we've been putting them out in. Uh, this is the first one's going to follow on from the last one. Uh, so, you know, if you were here last week, then you've got something to compare it to. Uh, welcome to Richard Hang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Uh, but I was having my ears cleaned uh, the other week, uh, and the lady with the ear vacuum said she called it Rallastapa. Uh, I think so, and I couldn't really hear what she was saying. There was a weird vacuum. It's kind of nice. Might get one of those myself and just uh, vacuum my own ears. Maybe could charge people 40 quid to come around. Would you pay 40 quid to have you? 30? 35, brilliant. <laughs> Once I've got the sucker. Um, yeah, look, my, my, uh, my kids have been texting me. They don't have phones, so that was impressive. But I got, I, I got it. This is the text I got the other day. Uh, Hi, Dad. I'm currently using a temporary phone as mine's broken. Can you please message me on my temporary number? 
plus four four blah blah blah. I mean, I was I was sort of surprised mainly because I had no idea they had phones in the first place. But of course they broke their fucking phone. They're five and eight. So only an idiot would give them expensive technical equipment like that. But nonetheless, they somehow managed to get hold of a phone anyway, which shows some grifting ability for those youngsters. Though then they'd broken it. I could have told them that would happen. Uh, I was furious, but also pretty impressed that even them could remember my number that I'd never told them. And B, compose a complex message without any spelling mistakes. Though there was a missing apostrophe, so I realised it probably was them. Because you can do the rest of a predictive text, can't you? So they're not as clever as they thought. Given both kids were at school at the time, I didn't think there was much point in messaging them. I'd wait till they got home and then give them a valuable lesson in taking care of expensive things, apostrophes, and why it's dangerous for someone to tend to have a phone. There are all kinds of shady characters out there who could take advantage of someone as guileless and gullible as an eight-year-old. It's lucky that they have me to protect them from that, and I'm clever enough. Uh, weirdly, the text... I don't know why they do this. It was obviously... It was a con It was a con man trying to get me to... But the text came from a different number than they were saying the temporary phone was. So it was like they'd got a temporary phone, but they'd borrowed someone else's phone to text me. If you try, I tried to text back to the phone that sent the text, and it didn't let me send the reply, so... You know, stupid fuckers, aren't they? Which kid is it? I, was, I wanted to just go, which one? Can you tell me which kid this is? I've got two kids, which is it's weird that you haven't bothered to put your name on the bottom. Anyway, that's the kind of exciting thing that happens in my life now. Right, look, let's crack on, because we have uh, a fantastic pair. Look, there's two chairs there. It's exciting. Who could it be? Well, you'll know immediately who they are when I tell you. One of them is best known for playing... Cloth bag in Sarah and Duck. <laughs> and the other one, of course, is Viking 4 in Robbie the Reindeer, Legend of the Lost Tribe. It's not the one I usually... I'm trying to get the, uh, the cast of Robbie the Reindeer, Close Encounters of the Herd kind, back together, so like Justin Lee Collins would. One day that's going to be all of them. This guy won't be here because he's in Legend of the Lost Tribe. Will you please welcome... It might be in the other one as well. Will you please welcome Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Cloth bag. Cloth bag. Wow, that was a... That was a gift. That was a Cloth gift from that. Cloth bag. And a few other characters as well in Sarah and Duck. Yeah, I don't want to boast. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get into character of uh, being a cloth bag? I've done more research for that role than any other role <laughs> I've ever played. Choose a voice, do it. That, that, that was it. Sarah and Duck was a good show. People really loved it. Yeah. It's very sweet. And the woman who animated it, you won't know this unless you've got little kids. It's a very cute show. But the woman who animated it, who wrote it, is called Sarah and looks exactly like Sarah from Sarah and Duck. Wow. Does she have a duck? She doesn't. No. <laughs> the duck might do all the writing. You might have a yes. duck. Yeah, but it's very sweet. Oh, that's nice. And uh, uh, Robbie the Reindeer, were you in more than one of the Robbie No, the I just did the first one. Uh, I remember it very well. Because right. uh, it was written by um, Kevin Cecil and Andy Riley. That's right. And I think it was the first time I met them. And right. uh, Andy had his trademark hat on, yes. his large hat. And uh, so I can, I can picture being in that... That heat, heated studio. Why did they? Uh, I mean, why were you disappointed not to get Viking one, two, or three? First of all, Viking I think 4. I was given Viking four because he just made noises, <laughs> so uh, I wasn't trusted with dialogue. No, I mean you haven't done a lot of that. You've done a bit of acting. You've done a bit of no, appearing. I, I think acting dignifies. <laughs> <it>. but, <laughs> 
I have I have stood in front of a camera. Yeah, on uh, with a costume on. Yes, I mean the, the, the nice thing about you is you're both writers and you write together fantastically well and separately fantastically well. Uh, you're much more of a show off. Yes. You, I mean, you're an actor who yeah. also writes, I think might be fair to say. I think that's very fair to Whereas say. Whereas you're a writer first and foremost. And or, fame, fame, completely and yeah. foremost, I would say. Yeah, but fame, it's, it was with the League of Gentlemen, we'll get this out quickly, mm. out of the way, but was there ever a feeling that you'd, you know, you're creating these characters and creating these scripts... Was there ever any feeling you wanted to do anything in it apart from the well, tiny little bit I think my mum put it best, because I was in the very first show, when we, the very first stage show we put on. Right. I, I was on stage with them, and uh, my mum put it best afterwards. She said, I think you can say you're a very talented amateur. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it was my good fortune to be paired with three Peter Sellers. Yes. <laughs> so it wasn't really sustainable, you know, kind of as an onstage dynamic. And, yeah, and... I mean, it's unlucky, I think, rather than fortunate <laughs> that they are, like, so fantastic <laughs> that uh, anyone standing there would think, maybe I'm not necessary here. It wasn't, there wasn't, not much thought was required. And it was fine, because I, I never thought of myself as an actor, nor was it my aspiration to no. be an actor. I was, I was always you know a, a, a writer and interested in being behind the camera rather than in front of it sure and when say so when they're on tour when they did their big tour do you go along to all of them some of them none some of them, of them some of them yeah yeah I, mean, I didn't i wouldn't do all of them but uh yeah and particularly the last one when we did the you know when we got back together a few years ago uh that was just joyful that yeah. was after after sort of 16 17 years or whatever it was to be just to be hanging out together and in that uh, environment was just brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's 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 well it, as you know, it's a ter- terrific show. It's an amazing thing to be involved with, and uh, and you were played by Michael Sheen in the film. Yes, uh, yes, I was. <laughs> yes, that, which, is, uh, which was also incredible. Yeah, and very very strange given the career that Michael's got on <laughs> to have. Um, but yeah, that was it was weird on the day though. It was weird because. Uh, I can remember sitting and having lunch with him and thinking, are you trying to copy me now? <laughs> are you trying to internalise me and uh, reproduce my tics? I wasn't looking forward to that. And do you think he did? No, I think he was very generous. <laughs> no one would believe a grotesque character like this. I'll play it as Michael Sheen. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I really want to talk to you about the stuff you've done together. You've both done fantastic stuff apart. We might get, get onto a bit more of that. Um, it's kind of interesting. You guys have known each other for a very long time. I didn't. I thought you maybe you know come together professionally, and you obviously wrote a ghost story together. Was maybe the first thing you wrote together. Yeah. But, but you knew, you've known you knew each other for like. So we met when we were fifteen, right? Uh, Nineteen eighty-one, high Jewish summer camp in Somerset, Somerset. somewhere. Somerset, yeah. yeah, and we were we just happened to be in the same dorm of sort of six people, and. I think one of them, the others is here tonight. Eddie, are you out there? Wow. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Levinson was, was also there. Yeah. Where, Eddie, so where in Somerset was it, Eddie? Because they don't know. Wellington School. Oh, Wellington, oh yeah, no, Wellington God, School. do you remember that? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> so Eddie was there. And, um, and all my family are from... I was brought up in Leicester, but all my family, parents, grandparents, extended family were all from Leeds. So I felt I, I'd spent a lot of my time there and um, my B'mitzvah do was in Leeds. Right. And uh, so I felt a real affinity um, to, the, to the Leeds lads. But I, I'd taken up with me, I used to collect rag mags. 
Okay. So I, I t- so that's a student, they were comedy, students, student comedy student, magazine yeah, for just, younger viewers and listeners. Yeah. Not porn. Yeah, like, <laughs> it does sound. I take my porn mags. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who's going to be there. Guys, watch me do this. <laughs> Don't turn the pages. I need that one. So it was no. There you are. Uh, so it's just joke, filthy, filthy jokes that universities used to put in these little booklets. Rugby in, songs. Do you remember rugby the songs yeah, and things? Yeah. And they'd sell them in the town centre to sort of raise money for rag week couldn't do that now though couldn't have no, that the now, world's gone you? mad in it richard yeah <laughs> so i tried like 15 or so of these books and thought well that they'll be a laugh and so in our little room used to that was the first thing was reading these dirty jokes to each other but we also uh, the big thing for us was we cottoned on very quickly and i can't remember how it was that we both were obsessed with horror I Can guess we've just been ca- talking about, uh, yeah. you know, it just came up because it was the dawn of the video age. This was 1981. Yeah. Right. So, you know, VHSs were just coming oh. out, video nasties. So we very quickly got onto that. Yeah. And we, we both, both got Star... We both were fans of Starburst magazine. Starburst magazine yeah. and Fangoria, if you were feeling rich, that you'd managed <laughs> to get a copy of. So there was that. Uh, and so it was sort of comedy, horror and magic. Because yeah. um, I'd always had a passing interest in magic and Jeremy was quite accomplished and used to go and do from a very early age sort of kids' parties I was, and stuff. Yeah, I used right. to go out every weekend doing kids' parties um, uh, from, from being like 12 onwards. Yeah, I mean, so like even just that first meeting, the sort of essence of... Nothing's changed. Oh, could, the essence of everything you were going to do together yeah. was there. <laughs> Comedy, magic and horror. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's all... And our conversations now whilst... Have shifted a little. Our, vo- our vocabulary is slightly enlarged. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it's all the same stuff. Yeah, truly si- swimming in the same water. And so, did you stay in touch from that day on? Absolutely, yeah. we were. We we were. The joke that we both make is that our parents had sent us to find brides, <laughs> and we came back with each yeah. other. And and it was it was it was one of those very intense friendships for me where almost. From as soon as I got back, I was on the phone to you. Do you remember? In those Can you wait days? till six o'clock? <laughs> it's costing a fortune. You'd sit on the phone. For, yeah, uh, you know, in the days before the internet, that's what you do. We'd be on the phone to each other for two hours. Yeah, uh, and uh, and then we'd go and stay with each other. We, we we got to the age where we could be allowed to get on a National Express coach on our own, and I would go down to Leicester, and he would come up to me. And were you writing stuff together then? No, or no. no. No, I mean, I was and remain in awe of uh, Jeremy and his uh, his brilliance as a writer. And and then so it, it was really thrilling to sort of watch his career develop. And likewise, you know, because his thing was acting. <coughs> yeah. His thing, he was acting then. He was in Leicester Little Theatre when, uh, you know, from as long as I knew it. I don't want to boast. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, like, his first TV appearance was in The Woman in Black, the brilliant ITV right. Woman in Black. And I can still remember, got the absolute thrill yeah. of uh, your scene coming on. And, yeah. Uh, so but, so we, it, we were sort of... It didn't occur to us to work together. We were on our separate tracks. You were... You know, he was at drama school. I went to art college and then went on to university. And we were, you know, we were kind of on, on separate rails, but admiring each other and very proud of each other. Yeah. Know? It's really, I mean, it's, it's very interesting always to think how, you know, obviously throughout life with love and work and you, you meet someone and 
these special relationships are formed. But it is kind of, you know, it, feel, it, it feels a little bit magic, doesn't it? This, oh, the oh, the yeah. coincidence of, of you incredible. being in the same in dorm and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. quite Galton and Simpson with, what do they have, polio? TB, TB, TB was yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> not quite that no, bad. there was a, only a sickness of the mind. <laughs> yeah, not of the body. <laughs> and so then with, with the uh, ghost story came along, and that was sort of sparked by you, was yes. it? Yes, so I... We, we'd sort of talked about, wouldn't it be fun to do something together at some point? And in the way you do with mates, it's always like, yeah, no, that'd be great. You know, we should do that. But, you know, Jeremy lives up north and he's married with his family and I live in West London, married with my family. And, the, you know, as freelancers, you're just paying the bills a lot of the time and trying to keep things together. So the idea of actually somehow magically <laughs> taking this... <laughs> chunk of time out to create something that chances are will never get seen yeah. it's just you know it's not a reality but i'd uh, i hadn't done a play for 10 years i'd just been um i'd sort of taken the decision to stop doing theater and to just focus on doing films and i'd been back and forward to la a lot and was doing that and then i came back after 10 years and did a play and it was very popular and it, it was also a real crowd pleaser and the director was a guy called Sean Holmes. Yeah. And Sean said to me, we'd gotten very well, and he said, look, whatever, let's work together again. Whatever you want to do, I'll just do it. What, what play do you want to do? Well, I'd ha- had this sort of thought slightly prior to that where I'd been to see the vagina monologues. I may have actually... Oh, no, it was at the arts. I thought it was here. It was at the arts. And I didn't really enjoy the play. It wasn't what you were hoping, was it? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) So I was watching this thing and thought... So I I was quite sort of aside from it, watching it. And I thought, this thing is packed. It is on in like 20 different countries. And it is three women sitting on three stools... Reading. Yeah. Someone's making a lot of money out of this as a commercial venture. That was thought one. About a week later, I was walking past the woman in black, which is that was, it's gone now. How weird is that? But that was, if you never saw it, I wish you had. And if you did see it, you'll know what a truly brilliant, frightening, remarkable production and play it was. Absolutely brilliant. But it had been on at that point for like 20 years. And I just thought it's mental that there's never been another horror play in that amount of time. It's like, let's not do another musical because Phantom of the Opera's on. I mean, it was mad. And I just had this lightning bolt moment. And I almost phoned, I, I think I phoned Jeremy immediately and said, I had an idea. You know, we keep talking about why don't we do a play together? How about if we do the vagina monologues with ghost stories? <laughs> Three men sitting on three stools, telling ghost stories, and it would be, we'll make it as scary as a, as a horror film. Well, of course, it sort of didn't, it morphed out of that, but I think that really... Yeah, that was, the, that was definitely... And I was immediately caught, because I, I, actually, the thing I thought of was Dave Allen sitting on a stool telling ghost Because oh. remember how brilliant his ghost yeah, stories yeah. were? Yeah. yeah. And, he, and, and that was the thing that hooked me. And, and I was on a completely... I was a bit lost at that point. I'd, you know, we'd stopped doing the league, and I'd, I'd done Funland, and then I was... Uh, I, I, was, I wasn't quite in the wilderness, but I'd kind of sort of forgotten a bit who I was. Yeah. And 
that the call came at just at the right time because it was like oh that whatever that's going to be fun it'll be it'll be a delight to work with him i imagine and <laughs> um but and it was you know what a ter- better than you imagine <laughs> <laughs> what a terrific idea and so yeah that that was enough to to hook me in and um so we had about a year of very quite softly batting ideas back and forth and just sending each other like favorite ghost stories and knew so many bits of things he'd written. Yeah. Was, so we were just planting seeds, really. Yeah. And then, and then when Sean said to me, whatever play you want to do next, I'll do that. And I said, well, it's not a written play, but me and Jeremy Dyson have had this idea, which is the vagina monologues with ghost stories. And he instantly went, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Can I read it? And we're like, well... <laughs> <laughs> we have written it. Um, anyway, about a month later, he became artistic director at the Lyric, Hammersmith. And I think his first or second phone call was to me saying, what's happening with that play? Will you come and see me? Um, so I think two days later, we went in to see him and we'd formulated an idea. Well, we kind of had a manifesto. Yes. Which, which was, although we didn't have the story, we definitely had a strong sense of what we wanted the experience to be because we wanted it to be a thing that burst its banks. Yeah. So it wasn't just on the stage. It was like an experience because there's so much that we both love. We love, obviously, the world of magic. We love the world of theme parks. Fairgrounds. Fairgrounds. Circus. Another big thing for me is I'd seen a, a fake seance that him and Richard Wiseman had staged um, back in the late 90s that had always stayed with me and I it thought it was such an intense brilliant experience and I had that in my head as well so we were able to go in and kind of throw this pitch together of what the thing would be like even though we didn't know what the story was and it it was also really commercially minded as well with we, this manifesto you know was we, we sort of wrote this thing saying it would be modern it, it had to be contemporary because the woman in black is there and it's brilliant. So if you did anything that was like Dickensy, yeah. it would only be just not as good as. It had to be as scary as a modern horror film. It had to have a small cast, so that would keep it cheaper. Um, and give you. And we wanted it to be 90 minutes, no interval, mm-hmm. like a horror film. So you just went straight through. And that's what we went and told him. And he said, brilliant, we'll open it a year looked in his diary, we'll open it a year today, we'll do a co-production, we'll find another theatre will do it with us, uh, which means you need to give us your first draft in, like, October the 1st or whatever it was. And, of course, he'd then just think, oh, fuck. <laughs> I think we did try and wriggle out of it, we didn't did. we? did, yeah. Because yeah. then we realised, well, that only gives us about eight months to actually do the work, which is ludicrous, actually, now, in retrospect. But in that time, I was shooting a thing for Channel 4, you were doing something else, and we knew we only had... There was, like, this two-week window where we could do our sort of R&D on it, and then we'd have an intense five months to write it or something. And then this thing that I was shooting got moved and I phoned Jez and said, look, you know that two weeks R&D, I think I can only do like a week. Right. And, and I said, good, because I had something move as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was it. We got together on this week and, um, and you know, the, the, gods, the gods smiled on us. Basically. 30 years 
came, turned, we turned on the tap and 30 <laughs> years came out of it. Yeah. Basically, it was backed up there, ready and waiting, which right. doesn't happen very often. But when it does happen like that, it's just a pure joy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, it is. It's a very un. You know, I've, I've heard you say that, and that's a very. It's happened to me a couple of times where just something comes out of you, yeah. more or less ready. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's a, such a rare thing as a writer. Oh god, it's those nights when you can't. Yeah. You've got an idea and you can't sleep because you're so excited about the yeah. thing. You just think, yeah. and it's all formulating in your head. I wish that happened more often. I know, but <laughs> you just got to be grateful for the, yeah. the. If you get it once, that's something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. As a sidebar, weirdly, I shared the arts theatre with the vagina monologues. I was doing Christ on a bike for a, no. couple, for a couple of weeks after them, and it was exactly the same for me. And I, what, everyone, and I had everyone in the bar after you know they'd pack out. And then 50 people would come and see me. And every night in the bar, someone would go, you should do a male version of the vagina. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So it's such an obvious idea. Yeah. And so then I kind of thought, why hasn't anybody done it? So then I did, it was, that was the influence for doing Talking Cock, which was probably my most successful mm. solo show, which again, that went all around the world as well. So that production of the vagina monologues inspired which, which, which again i didn't particularly like yeah <laughs> inspired two two things that went on to be uh, to do okay which is quite interesting and you know that the, i saw the production at the at the lyric in hammersmith as well so it was and it is yeah it was you know it was an extraordinary thing because it is i mean it's sort of it's crazy to say but it was sort of populist yeah. theater in that you in you went to it got scared you had fun it was enjoyable uh, well, we, and, we, and it's done incredibly. I mean, it's still going, right? You're still yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's on, pops up all over the yeah. world. It's very exciting. But that was also a really big thing for us because <clears throat> I, I'm obsessed with theatre. I absolutely love it. As a family, that has always been our biggest expense almost. But a lot of the time, theatre is too long, too boring, too pretentious, too expensive not including this evening. <laughs> um, so that was a really big thing for us, you know, was that, and I think that a lot of that I'd learnt in creating the sort of Darren Brown stage shows yeah. was that I, I developed an appetite to really give an audience their money's worth because I really believe that anybody who comes to see a play that you've written or when the, the film was at the pictures, you just want to give them so much that they feel that the 25 45 60 quid whatever yeah. it is um that they go away and think oh that was worth it i, I really enjoyed that and weirdly we i completely understood it when Andy started talking about that and he had this word over deliver you got to over deliver and i completely got it because we had the same thing right from the dawn of the league when we were even when we were putting the shows on at the canal cafe it was this thing of if you're expecting people to pay a five or ten quid or whatever it was back then, you've got to give them something for it. Yeah. And um, we, uh, you know, so we would we were quite diligent. We would we would drill the shows and get the queues tight and try and make it value for money. So I, yeah. I could, you know, I completely understood that and uh, and I thought it was a great thing to go out there with with that as your goal. And you stayed in control of the idea, right? So with the film, you had the chance to sell it to someone else who would have taken it away and done their own thing with them, probably... We did, yeah. I mean... I, I mean Norman Ron as well. Yeah, and that was a lot. Again, that was a really big learning curve in lots of different ways. You know, we were offered um, a big Hollywood studio when the play was on. I mean, we were lambs to the slaughter. We went into this meeting, you know... 
hello, you know, and uh, and these guys talk the talk, and then we walked out, and we'd known we don't want to we don't want to make a film yet, you know, um, and then they made this big old offer. They hadn't even seen the play, right. but then you're embroiled in this. It's not like you can just say no, you know. There's there's a million things you have to hoops you have to go through, and things you need your lawyers to explore and all that. It went on forever, schleps on forever. And, um, but what came out of it, and there was an, once we'd said no to that after seven months or whatever, and then there was another very a wonderful um, independent producer who wanted to do it. And it really forced our hands into thinking, well, what do we want to do with it? And, and Andy was brilliant. There was a night in Toronto, because Andy's brilliant. At, he's such a, he's so entrepreneurial in a way that I'm not. And we were in Toronto, the show, the show was going on there, and we stood in the foyer, and it was when that offer was, was yeah. live, and you said to me, I don't want them to do it. I, we should be doing it. If, if, at least if it, if it gets fucked up, we should be the ones to fuck it up. Yeah. And, um, and he, I thought, well, he's right. He's, that is... That was how... We, and so once we'd made that decision, we sort of pursued it. And those, it's like giving yourself permission to do yeah, that. Yeah, and they, they feel, when you sort of say them retrospectively, they feel so obvious. But in the moment, they don't because... I mean, one of the things we do talk about a lot is religion and our backgrounds and what we think. And ne- neither of us... I was about to say neither of us are religious and then I sort of stopped myself because I think my journey on it is different but we talk about what right and wrong and, and that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and it's really interesting when you're faced with those decisions because you realise so much of it is about worshipping false gods. All these opportunities, all these, the money, all this stuff. And all of it just draws you away from the purest thing, which is to, you know, you'd rather, we'd rather not do it than do it and, and have the joy of doing it together. And, that's, and that is not a luxury, that, a luxurious choice because we're both multimillionaires. <laughs> it's not. Quite the, you know, quite the opposite. It's very, 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 very hard because, you know, if you turn those things down, then it means you've got to earn some money somewhere else. Sure. But, but ultimately, they were... It was the right decision for us. And Yeah. And equally, if it, but if you have the passion and you know the project, it's got a better chance of being successful. And that might be money or it might be just a claim, you know, so it, it, yeah. it's, it's worth doing oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, I yeah. mean, now that's exactly true of the, the League of Gentlemen. I saw those early League of Gentlemen shows and, you know, they were, it was low economy, yeah. but, oh, yeah. but uh, sellotape on faces, yeah, yeah. but brilliantly put, you know, just like you were blown away by the stagecraft as much as the, as the comedy. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Magic and comedy, and you've, you've obviously got back, both got a background in magic, but they're sort of similar things in that they, they both involve misdirection and surprise. That's yeah. sort of the two things that... And horror. Yeah. They're, yes. they're all yes. so akin. Yeah. And they're both visceral, you know. Yeah. They're kind of, they're experiential, deeply experiential. If you think, the, well, you know what the thrill of getting a laugh is. Yeah. There's something transformative about it. And, uh, and, and the same, I think, with magic, giving people a genuine surprise, yeah. a wow moment. It's very similar. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an embodied thing. You feel it. You know? And it, well, it's, oh, no, it's also interesting, to, again, because it's sort of like magic has a... Has a especially uh, kids doing magic has a sort of certain, you know, feeling to it. It's, it's, it's great to have taken... You're interested in magic as a kid and turned it into something which is so high tech, both with Darren and, and with, with this show and with yeah. this book. We'll talk about you know to, to, it's so high tech and it's so involved uh, and so intricate uh, and it's sort of nerdy to start with. All these things are nerdy to start with, aren't oh, they? Yeah. But, but then they well, grow. They're still into, nerdy. They still are nerdy. Yeah. But, but the but the things you've created are so impressive and so you Thank know you. rich. Um, I mean the book. The book. I mean, and I guess of the book and the, and I, if I remember a ghost story rightly as well, there is you know there's a there's a the, there's a a theme of Jewishness running through oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. and yeah. through The Warlock Effect, which is this novel that you've written together. Now, before we get on to the novel, and we were brief to talk about this backstage, but the idea of writing a novel together as two people, for some reason, to, feels to be, like, impossibly difficult. I've, you know, I've listened to the audiobook and it, I can't tell who's written. <laughs> it doesn't change in style. <laughs> do you do, like, one word... One he does like one syllable upon a time, one syllable uh, at a time. <laughs> we, we do it like consequences. We yeah. fold down a page. Yeah, yeah, fold it down. See what but, you got. Yeah. Is it? Is was it a difficult? I mean, it shouldn't be different than writing a screenplay, but it does feel because there has to be a voice with with a novel. There has to be a narrator's voice at least, or whatever. Um, was it was it difficult to do this together? How did, how does that process work? It, it wasn't for us because we've been working. You know, we've been working together. Through the through ghost stories, through its various iterations on stage, and then and then on film, and you know, which was a long time, uh, and the, the the film went through many drafts, and then we'd written uh, we'd we'd written a draft of another play as well in between, and um, and another film. I think by the time we at least yeah. a draft, but by the time we'd come to do ghost stories, so I mean, Warlock Effect. So we were well versed at, at working together, and we had a process that worked, and we just kind of built on that. We didn't give it too much thought, really. No, I mean that has been a bit of a. It's a bit of a thing, you know. It's, it always reminds me of sort of parenting, where you know, when you have first have your kids, and and everyone's like, wait till they're teething, you know, and then it's oh, wait till they're two, and then you know, everyone always wants to chip in with how hard it's going to be, yeah, and um, and we just never re- right the way through, we've always just presumed, oh, it'll be fine, and within that, we'll have difficult conversations about. I mean, on the film, I remember a really big conversation about who calls cut if there are two directors, yeah, things that seem so silly, 
But, you know... So we had to arm wrestle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so you have those... You try and have those conversations, which at times is awkward and difficult. And, but but it, all that really helps. So then when it comes to writing, you know, the novel, it was just, it was just sort of the same process, okay. which is we put... We talk for hours and hours and hours and plot and then talk about life and whatever we want to talk about. And then something will pop up that you think, oh, God, you know what would be brilliant is if that goes there. And then after months, you end up with a sort of mushy shape that you then go, okay, well, you do all of that bit. I'll do that bit. And then let's swap over and you tell me what you think of that, I'll tell you what I think of this and make notes and then... Yeah. It's well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so rich again, you know, I think that's, that you can tell from that experience because it's, it's uh, you know, we can't talk about it too much because there's a, you know, it's a we, book full of surprises. It's basically about, I mean, it's set in the 1950s, which is yeah. an interesting choice. And I guess if, when you were do, if you were doing it as a film first, it was a, that was an expensive choice to make. Well, that's what, that's what happened. Yeah. Is we, yeah. It started as a film script, yeah. And, and we started, you know, we plotted out the first act and then we did, we did pit, soft pitch it to a producer and that was the first thing he said was, <laughs> this is going to be very expensive. Because like, the, the opening, because it feels like it's going to be one thing and then, it, well, you know, that's the, it's sort of about identity, isn't it? And, yeah, and yeah. totally. So this... The, the, a guy who's come to is an, an immigrant to the country is Jewish and has escaped terrible things and has to change it. Well, to, to changes his name for as to become a musician. yeah. And that was there was a lot of as with ghost stories there was a lot of real stuff in there. You yeah. know, we we do like to dig into into our, our own stuff. With this, it was a lot of our family stuff, and uh, you, you know, you're always looking for that sort of filament of truth to build yeah. the story around. Um, yeah, so, you know, he comes over on the kinder transport as a kid. He uses magic as a, as a defence. He's literally on his own and uh, magic's all he's got to defend himself with and then he builds this career. And that was based... There were a, there were a lot of Jewish magicians in the 1950s right. yeah. and th- there was at least one of them who had a not dissimilar path to that. Okay. You know? uh, that, that whole generation who, who'd either f- who either had fought in the war who were, or who were born into the war profoundly affected them because it starts off I and mean, what i love about it, it you know you think it's going to be one thing and it turns into something different yeah i mean oh, several times but it starts off you think oh this is going to be interesting it's a group of people who work together on magic shows and then they do this big stunt which you think oh this is going to be loads of fun and it's fun uh, and, and you know they, they have to find locate him in london and with you know when he's blindfolded or he has to locate his wife or whatever in uh, in London somewhere with, that, with no clues, and it's, you think, this is going to be capers, it's going to be fun, and then it sort of turns quite dark and turns into a different... Yeah. I'll say it's about espionage. I don't yeah, want to yeah. give anything away, yeah, but yeah. it becomes about espionage. Yeah, I mean, you can uh, say he becomes... He gets recruited as a spy yeah. by the British Secret Service. Yeah. Um, and so it turns into a different thing again, and, you know, and there are some proper shocks, but then there's also this sort of fun of magic being explained a little bit, little yeah. tricks being explained as it goes through. And, and there are real magic tricks in the book that you can learn as yeah. well. Um, well, that's one of the things that's that's del- we find it delicious, and hope you know that clearly people have done uh, is that the, within the magic world, it, there's a really um, there's there's so many sort of it is literally it's a whole there's a whole world a sub world of cu- the conjuring arts. So magicians will go and create magic tricks and then 
go around the world and teach them, lecture like this. You know, if this was a magic convention, the magician stands here and he performs his tricks and then he goes into great detail about how they're performed and then you would buy either the, the, the mechanism, the gimmick afterwards or a booklet of tricks. And back in the 50s, starting a bit earlier actually, but it's changed a bit now because it's so monetized uh, as a hobby and the world has changed so much. But back then, when you were buying a booklet of a magician's tricks, you really were buying their cabaret act. You were buying what they were... They weren't pipe dreams. They were going out... They were selling you what their living is. Mm -hmm. So within the book, The Warlock Effect, our novel, there is a book, The Warlock Effect, which is Louis's manual to magicians of his theories and how he performs tricks. And so within that, you are taught three or four pretty good tricks. And I say that as someone who creates magic <laughs> and loves magic. Um, but also there's a real insight into the thinking of the magician and how you take something small and turn a really small thing into a big thing um, through just shifting the words that you use or, and how that impacts on an audience. So it's a, really it's a really delicious world that I think giving the general public an insight into has been exciting. I think you're allowed to do this because you're both members of the Magic Circle. I, I am a recent member. I saw this, yes. 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 So you've been inducted into I the Magic Circle. I was inducted, which, which uh, Andy kept as a secret from me. <laughs> he had been um, engineering things behind the scenes and we did an event uh, about three weeks ago at the Magic Circle and then they surprised me with my membership. I was allowed to forego uh, doing my performance, my exam. You still had to slaughter the chicken. <laughs> so that was... Uh, yeah. And is it everything you dreamt it would I'm, be in I'm, that Magic I'm, Circle? I'm not ashamed to say I wept. <laughs> you yeah, did, it was lovely. Because yeah, it is a big thing. It's a really exciting... Uh, yeah, it's well. So, the giving away of secrets is a really interesting thing because what you're not allowed to do. If I stood up now and explain, just gave away a trick, explained a trick, that wouldn't be okay. Equally, on you know, if it was on Saturday night takeaway, I just you know, you just give it away. It's very different if people commit to buying a book. Or if you go, so you can go out to Smiths and buy Smiths like it exists. You, you can go and buy a book on magic yeah. at any bookshop on how to do tricks. That's fine because you're investing something of yourself, and that's also true of the book. And we were very cautious about what we revealed or not revealed. Uh, a couple of the tricks that we've put twists on are public domain. Right. Uh, one of them, uh, the first trick that you are taught is the oldest published magic trick in the world. It was the very first, one of the very first card tricks ever published. And it's, it's a phenomenal piece of very simple misdirection that, you know, five minutes after reading it, you would be able to perform it. Yeah. Uh, and it's so, so as long as it's done, it's, it's also about the spirit in which it's done. And the book is sort of our love letter to magic. Sure, no, it definitely comes across. And I think the other thing is that I'm increasingly fascinated by is this that magic now is, is actually opening up in, as a whole new area of science. There's a guy called Gustav Kuhn, who's a British, uh, psych I think he's a psychiatrist or a neuroscientist, who's, who's, start, who's got a university department where he's, he uses magic and magic techniques as a window 
onto the mechanisms of perception and c- cognition. Right. Because it's like, it's like a map, you know, there's hundreds of years of magic, the way they've mapped all the little flaws in human perception. And you can sort of reverse engineer from it how, how the brain works and how it doesn't work uh, just by looking at magic tricks. And even deeper than that, the times that we live in where, where, where manipulation of truth seems to have become everything mm-hmm. uh, because of, of what's happened online... It couldn't be more current because that's so much of magic. That's how it works. It uses language, as Andy's already touched on. Just careful changes of individual words can create an impression that, that you've seen something that you haven't seen. And so we, we were quite excited about the idea of building oh, yeah. a story around all of that because it, it seems very current. And, and then so there's great misdirection of setting it in the 1950s because it, it doesn't look or feel like now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you know, and there's you know, there's moments. It's it's a it's a beautifully written thing. It's a brilliant written thing, and it it grabs you by the guts. Really, there's bits where you know you can't believe what's happening, yeah. and maybe you're right not to believe what's happening because it's a magic book. But you know, there's 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 proper shocks in it. I would say as well. So you you really, it's, I really recommend it. It's, you know, I've, re- I've been reading a lot of books. So I do a book club version of, of this podcast now, and uh, it's it's. It's a it's a terrific you know and original novel and it's presumably going to now get into being filmed. I would imagine is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we were very we were very excited. We had a lot of interest in it and uh, and we actually had that rare thing of a, a bidding war. Really great, yeah, which was uh, terribly exciting. And so we and we partnered with um, Hartswood Films, which we we couldn't be more excited about. They 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 were just so enthusiastic about it and. Uh, so yeah, we, we're about to start work on um, on writing the first episode. Yeah, right. And will there be more books? Yes, there yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there will. There's because de- it does feel. I mean, the team feels like you know, and it feels like a, a really. I mean, is that is was that a, is that based on a, a real thing that or just the, it's kind of an amalgam of stuff? Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, yeah. They're called the Brains Trust. The people who create these illusions uh, and methods with Louis. And, yeah, I mean, look, I've been in a couple of brains trusts throughout my career where you're creating effects and moments and tricks for people. So, yeah, it's it's not, look, it's fiction, but equally there's truth within it. I think it makes you feel as you're reading, I kind of a couple of times had to just Google something to make sure. I knew it wasn't, like, true, but I was thinking, but is this, like, true? Because if there's, it feels very, very, you know, the, the period details fantastic. Well, I mean, there are that things stuff. that you know, we we without giving any spoilers away. There's a certain theatrical event that features yeah. that, that was that's completely real. Hundred percent. Right. The, the the lineup of that of that event is that's that's what right. it was in 1953. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it does. You know. It, but it has that that authentic feel. I'm I'm delighted. That's what this is terrific. You're gonna you're gonna do more with it. Um, and yeah, and you carry on doing your separate projects as well. Oh yes, I mean I'd, the most excitingly, Andy, maybe for this audience uh, is your appearance. I mean, there's quite a few bits actually. Uh, last, the Last Jedi. You're in the Last Jedi. Oh God, yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty exciting. <laughs> it is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, for I, I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't spot you, but that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd done another film with the director right. called The Brothers Bloom. And um, and I was in a show in town and he came to see me and said, oh, I want you in the movie. <laughs> I was like, well, that's really easy. Just 
make an offer and I'll be in it. It's not like I'm going, no, 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 no. Anyway, so yes, I'm in it for a blink. Yeah. Was that exciting? Were you a big Star Wars guy? Can you, he's not a Star Wars fan. No. Wasted on him. Uh. <laughs> no, I wasn't. But what, what was a joy was, um, I, I'd done a film with Frank Oz, yeah. uh, a thing called Death at a Funeral. And Frank and I have remained very, very dear friends. And I knew that he was coming over to do Yoda and that we'd be on set at the same time. Okay. So that was a treat. But yeah. it, look, I'm not being snooty about it. Of course, <laughs> it's a lovely credit, but it's not like, you know, yeah. it, I was, it was very brief. Uh, and I loved you in uh, Dead Set as well, which I'd, oh. I'd, I'd, I'd actually forgotten about. And then I thought, oh, yes, of course you were. Thank which was, you. But that was sort of the start of Black Mirror almost. That, that Oh, yeah, time. I mean, that was Charlie's first drama. Yeah, yeah. And that was an amazing thing because I'd been such a fan. I hadn't done a telly for 10 years. That was in that period where I'd sort of uh, just been doing films. And, um, and then this script came through. And they said, it's Charlie Brooker. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I just love his stuff. And what was amazing was, because I'd always suspected with Charlie in, in all the stuff I've read and that his sort of acerbic bile <laughs> came from a place of disappointment that, you know, oh, I really, really love it. I wish it was great and it's not it's rubbish. <laughs> and the fact that he had written something as if, like, oh, I'll have a go, I'll write something. And it was phenomenal i mean his writing as we now all know is just and his imagination phenomenal so that was just the most incredible gift of a show i loved it yeah yeah it's lots of fun right let me ask some emergency questions um if you uh like a caterpillar were to be put in a cocoon and just and melt that's what happens to a caterpillar yeah but you can emerge from the cocoon as anything you would like to be the chrysalis what would you like to emerge from the chrysalis as have you got an answer first <laughs> i would like to be a singer really yes a singer in are, a band are you not are you not can you not sing at the moment i haven't sung since my bar mitzvah okay <laughs> Uh, but I always wanted to be... I mean, I was... I did play in bands, but yeah. I, I was a keyboard player. Right. And I still play in bands. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would li- like to be a charismatic frontman. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. If I could choose. <laughs> Andy, if you've got well, a... that, Yeah, that's... Spot, I mean, the, uh, the only other thing that I ever really wanted to do was not a million miles off that. I wanted to be a singing impressionist. I absolutely like, like, like Joe Longthorne or oh, Baron Knights. Yeah. I loved the Baron Knights, <laughs> so I loved all of those. So I loved Yarwood, absolutely loved him. All. Yeah. Uh, um, Can I say the thing my dad used to say every week on Yarwood was he did a really good Frank Sinatra, and then he would go for the last verse. He would go, and this is me, and yeah. he'd sing it as Yarwood. And, and my dad would every week say, but, but he sings so well as Sinatra. Why does he? <laughs> to being him him and he can't sing (laughs) anyway sorry no so that would be it that's what I I always loved yeah yeah good All right. if all the world's museum and art galleries got together and said we love the warlock effect it's such a brilliant book we want you both to have one item from any art gallery or museum that you could take away and keep is there anything you would like to possess it could be anything you know it can be a magic thing it can be a I'll I'll tell you what I covet yeah really really covet the hand buzzer, you know, the joke. Yeah. Um, SS Adams, who were the company who, who made it, there's a display 
<laughs> this isn't an art, art piece of art. No, not not to you, it might not be. To me, it is. It is. Um, that's what I would want. Right. Is there is the most amazing display that was in shops of the hand buzzer. And it's got like 30 hand buzzers on it and the hand-drawn art on it. I, I'm not... In, I'm, art and... To me, that is... That, uh, that would okay. make me very You could happy. probably buy that on, on You eBay. can't. I've searched. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got anything, Jeremy? I think I'd take Duchamp's urinal. Oh, yes. Because I... That was... A, I, I saw it at... Um, is it, in, is it in the Tate? It's somewhere. I've seen it. Someone but, else chose this. Oh, right. Yeah, I don't know if it was one of the other League of Gentlemen. It might have been. But it was a thing I saw when I was quite young, and, yeah. I, and it was a bit mind-blowing that you could make... that. Uh, obviously, it was hysterically funny. Yeah. And that, the idea that, that that could be put in an art gallery is just such a good joke. Yes, just buy a urinal. <laughs> That's not the same. No one else has said the hand buzzer display, though, have they? They have. No one has said that. This is especially for you, Andy, because this is especially for you. What what would it take for you to fillet the actor Keith Allen? (laughs) 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 Um, Is there any price you'd put on that? If he owned the SS Adams hand (laughs) buzzer display... I've a good authority that he does. Um, <laughs> we won't delve into that any further. Thank you. But I might do backstage. His name came. His name came up backstage. Um, <laughs> let's just say. Uh, <laughs> is there anything you'd do to you'd want to? I have to no people? beef with him one way or the no, other. No, but you, would you, what would it take for you to fillet? If he came in and said he wants to suck my cock, would you would you be prepared to do that for a certain fee? World peace. <laughs> and Keith Allen has that. That's the terrible he has that power. He has that power and chooses not to use it. That's the kind of guy he is. He could, he could stop war at any point. But like Satan only in destroying finds he's... He's, he's like Milton Satan. <laughs> um, it's strangely plausible. It is. <laughs> it's just I've now sat down to have a think about that, and I can't. Uh, I can't stop thinking about it. All right, here's. A, I've got. A, I've, I've, I've put my questions over to AI now. I've realised AI can. I, AI can Go ask on. questions. This one's the best one that the AI, AI has come up with. What is the most ludicrous thing you've ever done in the name of love? Uh, this is true. Yeah. I uh, I uh, did a uh, a comic strip. There was there was a, a girl that I fancied who worked in a card shop right. in Leeds, and I did a com- and I kept going in, and uh, w- one week she noticed. She said, "You buy a lot of cards." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did a comic strip of me going in to buy cards, and then uh, and then dropped it off at the shop, like with my phone number. And now you're married. Uh, but she's uh, she was she was sadly going out with somebody else, oh. but. <laughs> Embarrassingly, <laughs> it's, it's uh, all embarrassing so far, Jeremy. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> many, many years later, very recently, she t- she became friends uh, in adult life with uh, some close friends of mine. Okay, yeah. and uh, we went along to a to a party at their house, and she was there. And she had the comic strip on, she didn't the, have the, strip on the wall, but uh, oh. it was. But I, I, I was, you know, I was strong about it because yeah. you know. It's not nothing to be ashamed of. It isn't, but the, we've all got these stories. That's the that's the you know it's the it's the ho- it's a it's a beautiful story because it's the hope, and then you put something into it, and then you're crushed. <laughs> well, I've not. I can't think of one like that. But I'll tell you what I'm going to say. August the first. 
is mine and my wife Sophie's 30th anniversary. Wow. And she's here. Wow. Where are you? I made that up. I'm not married. Um, no, she is. Yeah. So 33 years we've been 33? together. 33? Yep. That's incredible. You don't look old enough to have been... Well, I do with this bloody... Thing, but... Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Uh, very nice. Okay, good. Well, here's, well, here's a bad question from AI. Um, oh, this, one, this, one's, uh, this one's slightly relevant to what we were talking about. Would you rather be forced to sit through an eternity of Big Brother episodes or be stuck in a room with Richard Herring reciting an endless stream of bad jokes? I mean, I don't, that would be a get out of character because there would be good jokes. But big brother, big brother. <laughs> I mean, there's more variety in being. Like, it was an endless stream of jokes. Even if you liked me, yeah. Presumably, we could pause you on the jokes and have a chat. <laughs> endless. No, endless. It was endless. endless was the stream. word. And of bad jokes as well. It's not, I'm not even doing my good stuff. Not A list. bad stuff. That's AI fucking having a crack at me just because I'm trying to make it do my job for me. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you had any connection with Doctor Who at any point, either of you? It feels no. Like, it feels like you should have. I, I, I am a fan. Yeah. I am a fan. Yeah. It feels like, you well, know. Stephen Moffat is yeah. um, Hartswood Films. Right. Who, who is. Uh, who oh, yeah, so doing. now you've got an indirect so now I have connection. Got, yeah. a, a connection to it because yeah. they'll be doing Warlock. I mean, you guys have been writing and or. Doctor, it could be Doctor Who. Fancy it? Don't like sci-fi, do you? You don't like sci-fi. I don't. He really would like be a great. He would be a great yeah. Doctor Who, don't you think? Oh, yeah. that's very sweet. But I, I suspect that ship sailed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you've done a lot of stage. You know, you've, since, yeah. Was Ghost Story your sort of step back into stage, or have you done some stuff before? Uh, no, I'd done a lot of stage, and then I'd taken a, a break from it, as I say, for like ten years. And um, yeah, I've done loads. I love it. I love the theatre, and I love doing plays but it's got to be something you really want to do because it means you're out every night yeah. and it's it's a big commitment so yeah so the last show i did was uh, i played tevia in fiddler on the yeah, roof yeah so i did that for almost a year did you yeah and that was that was pre-covid that was just about six months before covid happened and then i'm doing a, a show in town again next year how is it doing? I mean, you know, that's I, I don't I like acting. I get a bit bored even filming something, but like the idea of going out and doing something, especially if you're not allowed to change it oh, I every love it. single night. I absolutely adore it. Really, I adore it. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be the right material. Yeah, but I adore it, and I also just think I cannot bear the moaning. I cannot bear it. People. Like, oh. Eight times a week. And just think, fucking <laughs> hell, you're in town, you're in the West End, or you're. No, I love it. I, I, I just, it's the greatest honour to be able to do it. I've always felt that, not just sort of playing big parts and in the West End. I always feel that. I just yeah. feel like it's such. There are so many people who would just give anything to have one day doing sure. that. So I just think, oh, no, I love it. Is it? Uh, I went to see Operation Mincemeat. Have you seen that musical? I have not. No. It's uh, just it's brilliant, and it's a small cast, and they do a lot. And I just and the, you know, and they're doing eight shows a week, and there are alternative people who take over. Yeah. And everything. But I just think it must be. You have to be so fit even yeah. to do one performance of it. Oh yeah. So is that is that was that the, was that true of Fiddler on the Roof? Was oh, that, it was, was that, massive. Yeah. Absolutely massive. I mean, you, I was on stage three hours basically, right. and it's. Massive emotionally, massive physically. Yeah, you've got you've got to be on top of your game. You really yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I won't bother. 
<laughs> gonna just uh, stop calling people in the theatre, asking me to star in the West End. I'm not gonna do it. Um, so what's coming up? Is there? Is there? I mean, that's a pretty much enough, isn't it? Have you got other? Have you got other solo stuff that's that's coming up soon for either of you? Uh, yeah, I'm filming something at the moment. Hence all this, which I can't say what it is, but that that'll be in cinemas. Is it the Santa Claus Five? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, I've just, I'm in a series actually which my son is also in on Disney Plus, I think called A Small Light, okay. which is the thing about Anne Frank, which is honestly the most amazing series. And, and I think both of us were a bit surprised at how brilliant it is. Because um, when you shot it, it was like, it was fine, but they've done the most brilliant job. It's really fantastic. And then I'm in rehearsals at the moment for a thing that myself, Darren, and Andrew O'Connor are writing and directing called Unbelievable, which is a new take on a magic show. Mm-hmm. And that will be in the West End in September. Wow, busy. You got anything on, Jeremy? Yeah, I am working with um, French comic book artist Giant Sfar. Uh, we're uh, doing a series together that uh, we've been developing for the past couple of years, and uh, that is now... Moving into its next phase, so Great. Um, yeah, I'm just. Uh, I mean, so you've written a lot of books as well, solo, haven't you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, and uh, and then we've got the next uh, warlock to do as well. We've got to get going on that. So and the pilot and the pilot for yes, the of this to write. Yeah, yeah, so. well, and we have an episode of Good Omens that we wrote. Oh yeah, we did that. Yeah, that's that coming, is, that's out soon, isn't it? It is out soon. Yeah. yeah. What's it called? Can you remember what we called it? Uh, Nazi zombie flesh eaters. <laughs> Truly, that's not a joke. We, we, we put that title on as a joke, yeah. and then they kept it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look at—I can't believe you managed to get all this stuff done. That's pretty impressive. But most uh, importantly, we came here. You did. Well, it's lovely to have you. And as I said backstage, I can't believe I haven't had either of you on before, let alone both of you. But um, no, it's really absolute uh, honour to talk to you and a pleasure to talk to you. Do check out the Warlock Effect. Honestly, you will not regret it. It's, it's uh, one of the. It's my, it's my novel of the year, I have to say. Oh, oh come on. That's very yeah. good. Thank you. I don't like novels much. generally, though. So it's, yeah. uh, it's... <laughs> doesn't matter. That'll be on the paperback. You've said it now. <laughs> I have said No, it's generally brilliant. And, I'm re- and I think it'll be, you know, a fantastic uh, film thing as well. So uh, congratulations. Give it up for the incredible Jeremy Dyson, Andy Nyman. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Rich Terring, and my guests... Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. The music is by Scamp Regard. As you know by now, I'm indebted to my producer Ben Walker. The Chris Evans, not that one, or that one, or that one, is also involved in this somehow. I'm not sure. It's, it seems a bit shady to me. And thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. They are very nice. This is a Sky Potato, Fuzz, and GoFasterStripe.com production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.